Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. Your host, Joshua Gillow here. Today, we have uh, Tom Piscatelli on. He is a uh, sales coach and trainer in the HVAC world, and he's going to come on and tell us his six things he thinks that salespeople should be doing today to help more people, aka make more money and sell more projects. It's all about helping first, and he gets in there with these six simple, fundamental um, psychologies you can work with and ideas that you can work with right away. They don't take any kind of training. They're very simple, but it's being aware of what you should be focusing on during the entire uh, sales process. So he's going to get in deep into that and uh, he drops a lot of great information there. So guys, if that's something that you can um, that we need a little bit more help with, or you'd like to really engage better uh, in your way you communicate with your clients and the customer experience, tune in. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast. This is your host, Joshua Gillow. And today, our guest started back in 1997, and he founded Trust Training and Coaching and began consulting sales with sales seminars uh, that have been improving the confidence and sales performance of over 8,000 HVAC sales professionals. Now, you're probably thinking like, hey, I don't do HVAC, but I'll tell you right now, guys, if you're selling anything out there, these principles we're going to talk about today are going to help you help more people. He also focuses on the salesperson's relationship with the customer as a paramount, as paramount to sales success. His philosophy is that people buy from people, in particular people they trust. Developing professional selling skills that produce the sale while helping build a trusting, long-lasting relationship with customers is what he strives to bring through every single one of his graduates. I know our hearts are aligned with that mission. That's why he's on to tell us all about that today. His training has been referred to as the soft sell with high skill, the most honest approach to selling. His articles are frequently published in trade magazines. He often speaks at industry events, and he has produced three HVAC sales training videos, uh, and he has particularly enjoys bringing cutting-edge training uh, approaches to his industry. So help me welcome to the show, Tom Piscatelli. How you doing, Tom? Hey, great. I'm very good. And how are you doing today? Oh, uh, no complaints, man. No complaints. Just finished up the 4th of July here, and uh, you know I'm excited to talk to you about sales and getting into um, you know, how we can help more people. That's really the bigger goal, right? We all at some point, whether we like it or not, we're salespeople, right? I know to some people that can feel kind of icky, but even if you're trying to figure out with your wife, where you're going to go out to eat or trying to talk to your kid about what movie you're going to see, like there's, there's sales in every single thing we do throughout the day. It's all about influence, right? So now it's a matter of understanding that there is a basic psychology behind it all. And the old fashioned, uh, used car salesman side of the world where you had to feel icky and feel like you had to take something from someone for you to gain something. Those days are over. Nobody's playing that game anymore. Now it's a matter of how can I add the most value to this relationship before you even ever ask for money. And that's why I want you on the show here to talk about your top six things that salespeople should be doing today in order to help them help more people, aka make more money, right? We got to help more people. That's the goal. So Tom, I'm excited to hear what you have in plan for 
your top six things that people need to be doing today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that introduction. And uh, I've been in this industry for over 40 years, actually pushing 45 now. Nice. And 100% of my time has been invested in working with salespeople in one way or another. So um, I, I've actually, I would say it, it would be fair to give the people I've worked with credit for what I'm going to share today because uh, we learn from others, right? Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to see what is effective in selling. And it's just as easy to see, maybe even easier, what's not effective in selling. So in a way, you can actually learn more from seeing what is ineffective than, than effective. So uh, this will be kind of a summary. These top six things will condense uh, what it is that uh, others uh, have proven to themselves that are most effective business uh, selling practices. No, I love that. I love that, Tom. So, you know, guys out there listening, there's, there is a psychology, like I mentioned earlier to this, and it's not about mind trickery. It's about taking care of the person you're talking to. This is about building a relationship, not taking money from them. That's the biggest difference in, in the way that we approach sales. It's a matter of how do we build the best relationship to make sure that we're the right fit for them. It's not that we fit every single box. It's not the case. A sales process is designed to help bring the right people in and have the, the, the wrong people go to somebody else that are more connected to them, that are more in line with their, uh, their way that they needed to be served. So it's all about service. So Tom, what are those top six things that, uh, that we should be doing today? Sure. First and foremost, uh, professional salespeople have to figure out how to be comfortable and confident asking for the sale. So I've been with many salespeople who make their living 100% from commissions who are not comfortable asking for the sale. And when if you don't do that, they can do everything right and get right to that point. It's kind of like getting the ball to the goal line and, uh, and not being able to get at that last foot uh, over the goal line. So uh, asking for the sale is first and foremost. And, and I find that that is something that uh, is created, that mindset that uh, gives themselves permission to ask for the sale is the most important thing. Um, most salespeople um, who have had negative experiences with uh, somebody who was selling to them uh, might perceive selling as pushy, sleazy, slimy, greedy, manipulative, obnoxious, and they don't want to do anything that ha could have them come across that way with their customer. And uh, in my industry is the heating and air conditioning industry and a professional salesperson might get one or two leads a day, something that can't be squandered and should be valued. And so um, if, if they're not able to see themselves in a positive light and feel that they've earned the right to ask for the sale with their selling process and with their mindset, um, then they won't. So that's, that's the critical first step. So Tom, on that um, critical first that step, oh, it does. It does. And I appreciate that considerably. The, if I'm out there listening and I struggle asking for the sale, 
What are some tips you have for me to be able to do just that, to, to start building the confidence, to be able to ask for that sale in a way that feels good? Sure. So everybody should have a sales process. Well, I, I'll, I'll rephrase. Everybody has a sales process. Uh, some of them are functional and some of them are not. Mm -hmm. So uh, a sales process begins with um, a mindset around being there for the customer. Um, George Burns, uh, whom you might remember, sure. was 100 years old, 102 actually, when he passed. And he was a comedian. Uh, many of our listeners will recognize that name. And he was once asked, George, what would you say would be the greatest secret to success in life? And he paused and tapped his cigar and he said, sincerity. Mm. Once you learn how to fake that, you have it made. So the, the obvious joke here is that you can't fake sincerity. You are sincere or you're not. That's right. So an effective sales process begins with um, a mindset around being there for the customer. So in a sales process, if you start by uh, thinking about how you can help the customer, that you see yourself as a service person providing a valuable service. If the customer invites you into their home or business, they invite you in for some reason. And that reason has to be that they have a need. And everybody who um, engages in um, a, a process where they're looking to buy something as a consumer, they're looking to buy something, um, has some reluctance like we've talked about already. And that reluctance will be uh, being pushed into uh, something that they, they don't want or they're not happy with, or they just don't like being pushed. So a process where um, it begins with just pure customer engagement, and that's actually the second part of our second step is engaging the customer in a discovery of their problems. It's their problems, we're there to serve them. So ask questions, um, look for clues, take some measurements in some cases, uh, like a, a builder or a, a contractor might take some measurements. Engage the customer in the discovery of the problems so that when you offer them choices, and that's our third step, offer them some choices that are appropriate to the problems that you engage them in discovery, uh, then you, you can personally feel that you're doing the right things for the customer and you can earn the right to ask for the sale. Got it. So step one, ask for the sales. Step two, engage them in discovery of problems. And third is offer them choices, which I'll comment on next. No, I love that. And you're right, because once you've built enough value into the relationship, you know, by discovering, you know, I always say you got to be a detective when you go in there. The goal is to listen really well and ask a lot of how and what questions, because that really opens them up. They're not yes or no based questions. We want to get deeper. We want to understand their emotional driver for, you know, whether it's HVAC or outdoor living or landscaping, whatever it might be, or whatever you're building. Uh, it's to be that that detective first off, but that hat on. It's not about talking about yourself and all the things you can do for them. No, no, no. It's keep your mouth shut, STFU, <laughs> and it is to listen with good listening ears, not just to listen for sound, but listen to hear. 
and keep asking deeper questions and it helps unlock them even more. So I, I love that part. You've got to be that in that discovery process and then find out what value you can bring to the table, and what problems they have. And once you understand them deeply, then you can keep moving down the, the pipeline. And that gives you the, 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 the ability to feel even more confident to ask for the sale because you know you have a great solution because you understand the problem. So you just used a phrase that I thought was very succinct and appropriate. You said, listen to hear. Yeah. And you must have uh, a reason for saying that. And you, Would you mind explaining it for our listeners? Because I'd love anybody who listens to this to make sure they understand the yep. difference between listening and hearing. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a funny thing you can ask my wife. You know, there's times when she'll talk and I'll be listening, but I won't be hearing. I'll just be, you know, sound will come out of her mouth and I'll, it'll bounce off me and I'll be like, all right, yeah, I'm here, but I'm not actually absorbing any of it to, to actually hear it. And she's called me out a few times on that. So it's no different with customers. You know, we go in there thinking we already know the answer. And then all of a sudden they say stuff and we don't pay attention to it because we already know the answer. We're, gonna, we're here, we're guys, right? We fix things. So we already have a solution for them. We didn't listen to anything they said. And we say, okay, Mrs. Jones, here's what we can do, A, B, and C. And, and she looks at it and she's like, that's not what I want. Even though it is the solution, Tom, it's not what she's asking for, right? So listening to hear, right? To actually listen and absorb and get that really deep inside of you. That's why asking those how and what questions allows for that deeper understanding. It's all about understanding, being that detective. So once I realized that and I flipped the script and said, no, 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 our sales process is going to be designed around listening, deep listening. And we actually listen for phrases and words that they use that are unique to them. Once you've done a couple of sales calls, you can start picking up unique phrases and, and words they use. Because when Mrs. Jones is, is talking in our world, say she's talking about a new patio, right? And she's talking about this space. And if she just says, hey, I'm looking for a new patio, that doesn't give us much depth on what she's trying to achieve. It's not stones or concrete that she wants. It's a space that she can do X with. We need to find out what X is, right? Because then we can design and work around it, but we need to get deeper into that. Because uh, if not, you're just going to give her a patio. She's probably not going to be very happy with and she's not going to refer you. That's the problem, right? We Ultimately, our goal is, re is referrals because that's a, a machine that just keeps running your business without a whole lot of, of money's in. So by listening, Mrs. Jones says, I want a space that I can sit back and read a book on a sunny day and watch my dog run around the backyard. Like that's a phrase we're going to use when we come back and talk to her. Sorry, Mrs. Jones, I understand we're looking to create a space here that um, you, know, you can sit back and read a book on a sunny day and watch your dog run around the yard. Do I have that right? She's like, yes, it's exactly what I want. She's trying to paint a picture in her mind and she's trying to paint it in your mind. The problem is that if we're not listening, she's handing us paintbrushes and we're just taking colored pencils and going at it. You know, it, it doesn't work. We're trying to, just like when you text a picture, Tom, right? You text a picture of a car to somebody else. You're like, hey, I really like this car. And you send it to them and they can see exactly the picture you're talking about. But if we don't have the visual aspect of it, we're trying to paint it in words and words are different. Because if I say car to you, you're thinking a very different picture than I'm thinking car. So we have to be very clear with that conversation with the client and make sure we grab their exact words and understand them and then move on. So that's what it's about listening to fully understand and to hear what they're saying and not just have it be words coming out of their mouth because we've already passed them with the solution, if that makes sense. It does 100%. And I'm really glad you went through the detail and explaining that. So uh, along with what you just said, and we can we can go down main directions in sales and I love it. Um, I love selling and everything about it and I love people and love helping them. Those are all very important. So one thing that most many, I'll just say many salespeople do without 
consciously doing this is we will judge. We will judge what people will or won't spend. We'll judge based on the neighborhood what we might propose. Uh, we will judge um, when they will make a judgment when they say something um, because we'll have heard that from others. We'll judge that it's the same meaning for them and, it, and it's not. So uh, I, I just really appreciate what you just said. And we will, uh, as a result of judgment, tend to offer people um, something that fits into a category that may or may not be appropriate for them. Like you just said, uh, you, you want to uh, find out how they're going to use the the patio and, and what that's going to mean to them and try and fit the solutions into what it is that they've told you without judging what it is that they want. And so instead of uh, some salespeople will tend to sell what they want to sell, yes. or they might sell out of a catalog of solutions and try to fit the customer into one of those solutions. And, and that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is asking questions, finding out what it is that they're really interested in without judging what they will or won't want or can or can't afford, and then offer them solutions that are appropriate and give them some choices. And if it's okay, I'll step into that idea of choices yep, next. Please. Sure. So over time, it has become, and I'm talking about a lot of time here, like 30 years, um, in the past, we used to offer just one solution. We give the customer this system based on what they maybe said, maybe did say, just what we wanted to sell. And it became apparent that um, offering them three choices actually was going to be more effective. And there was a famous study actually done in the heating and air conditioning industry, which was for, um, it was done by Energy Star. And Energy Star is owned by the Department of Energy. They are run by the Department of Energy. And the heating and air conditioning industry was singled out for this study. And it was very exhaustive because if uh, the Department of Energy wanted to eliminate the, our dependence on foreign oil. And our dependence on foreign oil could be 100% eradicated if we reversed in heating and air conditioning the mix of low end, which is the majority of um, efficiency of equipment that is sold, and mixed it and shifted it to the high end. And what the study proved is that if you offer the customer's choices, most will gravitate toward the middle or the top choice instead of the low end, where contractors in this industry were historically focused on giving the low price because they judge that the customer won't spend any more money than the low price. And so it got the customers, it got the data, got the customer's mindset um, focused on the contractor's mindset focused on offering other choices and that they turned out that they would buy. And the ratio of choices became um, instead of majority of people buying the low end, um, when they offer three choices, then uh, the mix shifted from 20 on the low end 
uh, to 40 in the middle and 20 on the high end. So uh, 20, 60, 20. So if you offer choices, then you shifted your average job selling price from the bottom all the way up toward the top end of the spectrum. Over time, we evolved into four choices. And when you shift into four choices and you made the fourth choice, the top choice, the one that didn't have a budget in mind, and that's how it was characterized for salespeople, is the top choice is the one that is, uh, doesn't include a budget, but it would be the best possible solution based on everything that you said. And then we have a bottom choice that would be the one that would be the minimum that would fit into the lowest budget. And then we have two in the middle and we can offer, um, and what we'll do is we'll, I'll go through these and then we'll customize a solution that will match up exactly with what you want. And that's how that gets positioned with the customer. So offering four choices um, with the best being the solution that doesn't have a budget in mind, a basic that uh, is focused on the budget and then two in the middle with the ability to customize a solution that will match up exactly with what they want takes all the pressure off of the buying process, offering the customer what it is that uh, they, they could buy their solutions. So, so does that kind of add up? Does that make sense? No, it does for sure. And I'm, I'm loving it because that's exactly what we've done here, um, you know, in my outdoor living company and also with our sales training that we're, you know, teaching our students to do exactly that To In the past, it was, look, here's the best solution. We figure our customers are smart enough to be able to pare it down to where they need it to be. If that's the case, that was years ago and we found that was not working, right? It was working at some points and other times you're just pissing people off because you're giving them something that was at or above their budget, like way above. And then they're looking at it like there's no way to take things away from the design because we do everything design first. All of ours come with a visual three-dimensional full color model. So we had a, a situation where we were showing people the best, everything they asked for and assuming they would be able to take pieces off and be fine. The problem, Tom, is that once people saw the design, they didn't want to take anything out. They felt like they were being robbed. So we said, look, that's got to change. There's got to be a way around this. So then we do what was called good, better, best. So same design, three versions, and that one lands on their budget or below it, one lands a little above, and one is the pie in the sky idea. Like here's, here's everything you wanted. And the cool part about all of this is that we found now over time that our clients are much happier because they have choices. Before we gave them no other choice but a different contractor. Now we have choices within the company for their ideas and their things and they're they're going to almost always pick somewhere in the middle. You know, it's it's funny how that works that they're not going to go with the low end. We tell them the low end is going to be kind of boring, you know, not that the it's going to lack a lot of the details that they want, but it's a starting point, right? There's a there's a path to their budget. And then from there, they can decide, hey, you know what? I actually want to spend a little bit more than my budget because I want these features. So they're probably going to land somewhere in the middle. Some go high end, but most don't go low. So to your point, you give them choices. It's like going hunting with three bullets instead of one. I hate to use bullets because we're not trying to hurt anybody here. But the point is you go with three different options for them. It gives them three different ways to say yes, as opposed to uh, just one that they you better hit it square right in the middle of the bullseye on the first attempt or you're going to lose them. So it's, it's amazing how well giving choices to your clients helps, especially in these economic times. You know, we don't have as many leads as we had coming in during the COVID times where it was just absolutely insane, right? And now we've, each one has to count. So now we have to make sure that we're spending the time listening well and providing solutions, three of them, that could help them 
solve the problem that they have. Yes. So uh, I noticed you used the word used the word options a couple times, and so uh, and that's just instinctive for most of us. We've been trained really to use that word in selling. And so there are three uh, versions of options and um, well, I'll just say three, three dysfunctional terms that get the customer to think about money mm -hmm. instead of thinking about the solution and the value they're going to get from it. And so options is one. And, and I'm thinking from the consumer's mindset, right? So when they hear options, what do they hear? They hear more money. It's going to be something extra. It's in addition. Okay. So that term would be one that we might consider deleting okay. and just substituting the word choices for it. These are your choices, right? So it's, it's a, a way to empower the customer to make one a choice. And it's a way to let them know that you respect her ability to make that choice. I like that detail. So a very effective term, I think, choices. Yep. Second is uh, we, uh, the word bid is used in many industries. Uh, yep. Contractors use it all the time and that's what they think they give, they give bid. And so the word bid, I think, is also dysfunctional in, in using it with a customer because they the customer won't, the, won't hear bid singular, they'll hear bids plural. And if if what the contractor is going to give is a bid, then it's kind of planting the seed in the customer's mind that they're going to get bids plural. And we don't necessarily, that's, that's not helping us, right? That's correct. And then uh, the third term is quote. And contractors use that all the time as well. And so if I give a quote, um, what is a quote? It's kind of, to me, it's kind of like vapor. A quote is a starting point. It's, it's uh, not an end and it's a beginning to the buying process. So if we delete those three terms, bid, quote, uh, another one is estimate, same sort of thing, right? It's an estimate. What is an estimate? It's kind of a guess. So if we can delete those and just replace them at least with proposal, and if you really are into what we're talking about today, just say, just substitute the word choices. So we'll give you some choices that are going to match up with what you, what the problems are that we discovered. And the solutions are completely up to you. We can design a system that based on any investment amount you'd like to make. I love that, Tom. That 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 small switch in in use of words, I can see the power deep down in that. So I just, I love podcasting. I learn something new each day. So I love that, Tom. And you guys out there listening, if you're using the you know the words quotes or estimates or options, consider switching to choices or proposal. I love what Tom's philosophy is around that because he's right. If you give them choices, then that kind of stays within between you and the client, giving them choices for what the solution could be. But when you say, I'm going to give you a bid or an estimate, it, it seems gray. And also the bid side, to his point, means, okay, that means I should be getting more bids because I'm taught from a child on that I should get three bids on every project. 
So you're, you're giving them the words to use in their own subconscious to go do that, where I don't know about you, Tom, but I'm not really interested in that. My goal is to be able to create an incredible solution and see a lot of value in, and then they work with us to do it, not give them lots of ideas so they can go somewhere else to get that other bid that they've asked for, uh, I guess, subconsciously. So that's a great, that's a great teaching moment there, Tom. I love that. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, many people, um, think that, um, when they hear the the customer say, well, I'm going to get five bids right out of the gate, you know, and that comes up quite a bit, I think, in most industries. Mm-hmm. Um, each of us as sales, professional salespeople has had the customer say that up front. And then they decided on the first call to go ahead and buy from you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that happens to all of us. So when the customer says that, I don't want the salesperson to be discouraged. I just want them to recognize and honor and respect the customer's position on that and then earn the right to offer them the best possible choices so that they can make a decision and not feel like they're defeated right out of the gate. And that is another thing that a lot of salespeople struggle with sometimes. Yeah, especially. So, yeah, no, Tom, especially if they're, you know, you tell me if I'm wrong, but in your world, in the HVAC world, you're showing up to the house, you're talking about either the addition or replacement of, of equipment in order to heat or cool their property. Is that correct? Their house? Yes. Yes. Okay. So with that being the case, is there typically designs involved when you do that? Or is it more verbal, like explaining where to fix this and change this out? Here's some information on the model of compressor or the model of this, that, or the other thing. And is there a design ever involved, something visual? Well, so the visual, there isn't often a design. Uh, What what gets substituted is um, doing professional things and showing the customer Show is important. Mm -hmm. Saying doesn't really connect, but you show them. So we do a load calculation. We measure the right size of equipment for the house. And we show the customer that we did the load calculation. And we put together four choices in a professional manner. The best presentations are visual and they're in consumer terms. I have a couple favorites. And so then you show them what the choices are. You show them what the total investment is. You show them what the monthly investment is with this visual representation. You show them all those choices right up front. And then you show that you you, you, uh, have a way of explaining what their choices are and so on. So you use a couple things uh, visually, but there isn't really a design where you're going to sketch the patio or you might sketch the pool. You're not going to do that. No, I I totally understand. Actually, there is. You know what? I'm going to take that back. Um, When they go through discovery of the problems in the home, they will take pictures So you might take a picture of some bacterial growth inside the ductwork, or you might take a picture of some ductwork that's improperly sized, or you might do an audio recording uh, of letting the customer hear the whistling noise of air coming through this undersized ductwork. So we could use some visual or auditory 
um, examples of problems on in the middle, but it's not going to be something that we're going to show them um, at the end of the sales process. Yeah, I'm looking for because in our world, when we do any uh, or most um, you know, sales come from clients. It's almost always through a design, right? Because we need to help them visualize. Like I mentioned earlier about I say me saying car and you saying car in two different pictures. We want to both agree on the visual forward. So we create that, right? So in our world, we design everything outward. So it's design first always. And then we agree as, as client uh, and designer on which is the best path forward, right? Adjustments and revisions if need be to make sure that we're on the exact same picture. So that's the goal there. Um, and reason why I say that is because if a client comes to us and says, I'm getting five bids for a project, you know, for us, it tends to turn us away because it's at that point, it's only a dollars and cents kind of thing, at least in the way that it's it's uh, conveyed. And I want to get your your idea about how to switch that mindset from the dollars and cents side to how we might actually be able to help this client. Because I know in the past, I've struggled with this too, when it gets to the point where they're saying, I've got five bids and I'm almost like, you know what, what's the point? Like, I'm not going to be the cheapest. I shouldn't be the cheapest out there. If their mind is only around dollars and cents, how do I convey a higher value? I'd love to hear your take on that. Sure. So because let's say the customer says that right up front, just like we illustrated or suggested. And then, so we want to acknowledge it. You always want to respond to an objection uh, by, first of all, agreeing that they have the right to make that, uh, um, that comment. So it might be something like, um, you know, um, I can appreciate that. So we acknowledge it. We're not, we're going to take the heat out of it by saying, I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that customers often say, and then you provide new information. What we're going to do uh, to make sure that I, I take care of you, my focus is 100% on making sure that you get some information that can give you uh, enough information to make a decision that's right for you and your family. So what I'm going to do then is we're going to, uh, I'll ask you to help me survey your home. We'll start at the thermostat. We will um, look at the duct work. We'll eventually look at the equipment and I'll be writing down the things that uh, are important to you that you'd like to get in a new system. I'll also note things that are in the way of you getting the best in energy savings, the best in comfort, um, eliminating any noise to get the most healthy system for you and your family, one that will last a long time. That'll be my focus. And then uh, I'll put together some choices that um, could be appropriate given the problems that we discovered. And then we'll see what it is that you'd like to pick. Does that process sound okay? I like that. Because so you're giving, you're giving me I've the choice. I, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and I've deferred from their focus on getting five bids mm -hmm. or I'm only going to get the system. I'm only, I don't, this is my budget. This is where I'm going to stick with and whatever. So we we just don't we do, we respect that position, but we explain what we're going to do that will possibly um, create a different perspective on what they thought we were going to do versus what we actually do with them. Yeah, that and that's all part of, part of the. 
it's all part of the relationship building process, right? So if, if we start out with customers seeing us as somebody they don't trust, salespeople are gonna, they're pushy and greedy and all that kind of stuff. They're not focused on me. And if, we, if that's what their mindset is, then we take, we wanna do anything we can to get them off of that thinking about us. Um, the first part of this trust selling process is to establish rapport. You do that right at the meet and greet. You do it by showing up on time. You're doing it by professionally um, being attired. Um, you're engaged, you're gonna engage them in questions. You're gonna ask questions. You're gonna take notes, so important to write down what the customer says. And then you'll survey the home, engaging them in the discovery of the problems. All of this in, in our world can take an hour and a half or two hours mm -hmm. before you're ready to actually ask for the sale. So there, there's, there's a lot to it, but it's, um, it's fun and it's fundamental and it's rewarding, um, I think, for salespeople to feel that they've earned the right to ask for the sale. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It's not coming in and just trying to slam solutions down their throat. It's truly getting a sense. You have to get into their world for, first through their rapport side, right? First step is to get into their world. And then once you get in, you can start seeing the world through their eyes and you can start offering them solutions that are much closer to what they truly need, not what you want to sell them. That's the biggest thing is that this is about them, not about you. This is about serving them. And you happen to have a few tricks up your sleeve throughout your career from all your experience out there. How can you take what you've learned and serve them at the highest level? That's what it's all about. It is. So uh, the six things were down to number uh, four, which or five, which is to use financing effectively. And mm -hmm. uh, maybe that doesn't need too much comment. But uh, the, the most effective financing is, first of all, the lowest monthly payment approach. So that might be a, a 10, a 12, or even a 15 year uh, with a very low payment factor. I like the 0 0.01, 0 0.0125 payment factors. Uh, that So we show the customer the monthly investment first in a bigger font on the proposal. And then we show the total investment next. And then if you have a zero, a zero 36, 18 months, or even zero 60, in, depending on your industry, and you offer that. So you let the customer see what the choices are on the systems, four choices, four solutions, and then we show them a monthly, um, a total, and a, a zero if we have it available. Of course, we'll take Visa, MasterCard, all that. So uh, that's number four. Number five is following up until the customer makes a decision. So what we know from uh, people's behavior styles is that some people will want to make a decision on the first call, some will not. Turns out statistically that 40% of people are inclined to make a decision on the first call. That's just how they're wired. I am personally, um, my spouse is not. <laughs> that way. So, and, and uh, in couples, we, when we sell, we tend to attract in a couple relationship, we tend to attract one who is inclined 
and one who's not. Mm-hmm. You might be able to relate. You can oh, tell yeah. me if that's how your relationship 100%, is. Yeah. So, Tom, we actually so, hold a second. We actually is, we have a name for them, right? We I have a name for them. The 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 relationship dynamic. We call them the bird dog and the banker, right? You got the bird dog who is easily excitable, wants everything, has no budget, watched HGTV, has a list a mile long of everything they want, and then they've got the banker. They're the ones that are the realists that are like. Uh, honey, we're not going to buy all of that, right? So not having both of them in a conversation is is absolute pain in the future, right? So because one of them is not going to be happy. That's why we always have two decision makers on our design calls and all that stuff, because they both have to feed into this. And you can watch their dynamic too, when they you know feed back and forth, whether they're both on the same page, whether the pool is important for her, but not for him. And it's not a male, female thing. The bird dog and banker, it can go either way. It doesn't matter. It's knowing that the first call coming into your office most likely is coming from the bird dog. Not always, but most likely is the bird dog that is excited about it. It's their project. They finally got a an okay from their partner to say, hey, I'm ready to do this. And they're the ones that are excitable and no budget. Everything's great. And then the banker sits in the background. So if you don't have that conversation and the banker's not involved, you're going to have all these ideas. And then when the banker comes in, he's going to kill them all or she's going to kill them all. So get them both involved early. It's huge. I love it. That's, uh, that's a nice way of describing those behavior styles. So um, if, if that's the case, and let's just say that uh, it's a 50-50 mm-hmm. um, split. I said it was 40-60, but let's just call it 50-50. That means that in half of the calls, then we have to have a plan to identify the bird dog and the banker. And then we have to have we have to create agreement on how we're going to follow up. So if we just, if the sales guy or gals just does ask for the sale and they say, uh, the customer says, I want to think about it. Then if the salesperson says, well, here's my card and uh, just give me a call when you're ready. They've shown actually that they're not all that interested in the customer, I think. And so a professional way would be to give the customer, again, some choices on how they might be able to follow up. So for example, uh, okay, I can respect that. I just wanna make sure though, before we leave that I've covered everything, that I've answered all the questions that you have. So you have enough information um, to make what you feel is the right decision for you and your family. And sometimes that'll open up conversation again. Usually it won't. So then you say, okay, well, I I know this is important to you. It's certainly important to me. There are four ways I can follow up. Uh, I'd be glad to come back again. If you'd like me, I could visit here you in a day or two. Uh, That would be one thing. Um, I can uh, give you a phone call. We could set a time when you might want me to call. Uh, this is also effective with uh, a single legger and you want to get the second person with you. Mm-hmm. Um, a third these days is uh, we have many customers who would uh, like to have a Zoom uh, an appointment set and we could do that. Or uh, fourth, I could just stay in touch with you by text or email. Which of those uh, choices would you think would be best for you? So you create agreement and that's important create agreement on how to follow up. Mm -hmm. And then there's a bit of an obligation then since you have set an appointment, you've written it down, you've put it in your calendar. Um, There is a commitment and the likelihood is that they will keep that commitment if you do it that way. 
No, I definitely agree. And keeping the ball moving forward, because you know what? They may be in a, in a still in a decision state. Like, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. We still want to talk to some people, get the best ideas. So by putting that ahead and saying, look, the next step here, you know, how does Wednesday of next week look for you? looks great. Okay. Would you like a zoom call or, you know, how do you want me to connect back with you? And once that's set, there's a higher probability that they're going to at least keep you in the running, right? Because you're trying to move the project ahead. It's when you give them your card and say, you know what? Call me when you're ready that they're like, I don't think this guy really wants this project. Or I don't really think it's as important to him as it is for me. So they want you to help move this forward because they're in a decision-making process. They're not sure what they're going to do yet. They're in a world of uncertainty right then and there. So this gives them a little bit of certainty that you're not just there for the one time. The key is to what Tom mentioned earlier, you've got to be on time. When you say you're going to be there, you're there. You're building trust. That's the rapport side. You're building trust with all these things. If you show up 10 minutes late in the beginning, you've automatically broke trust. They don't trust your word. And then if you if you don't even apologize for it, or if my rule is this, Tom, if I'm more going to be more than five minutes late to a meeting, I'm calling. I will never be more than five to eight minutes early because it throws them off. You've got to be somewhere in that sweet spot because you're either a man or a woman of your word. And when you show up consistently, you're building trust without even knowing it. You're building trust over and over again. I saw one of your videos where you put the, the plastic on your shoes, even if they don't want to, you're building a respect and a trust. Right. So it's really a matter of doing it. Once they see that, they can't unsee it. And then all the other guys that are showing up with a wad of tobacco in their mouth saying, yeah, I'll fix that for you. No problem. I'll build that for you. You automatically level up and your value is so much higher because you respect their time. You respect your time and you've automatically got a, a leg up in this entire conversation to helping them. Simple things. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Perfect. Got it. And then the last thing, number six is selling to the customer in a manner that's appropriate to their behavior style. So if you do have um, the bird dog or you do have the banker, then you want to approach them in a manner that's appropriate. So for example, if the, the bird dog says, uh, I want to think about it, and they're the type of person who's going to, do I get the phrase right, bird dog? Yep, you got it right, yep. Okay, we want to make sure. So if they say that and they say, I want to think about it, the probability is that they're not buying. Mm -hmm. So you have kind of, as a professional, um, an opportunity to kind of ask one more question. Okay, I can appreciate that. I, I wonder if you could help me understand what it is that you're thinking about, just to make sure I've covered everything that you said was important to you. So it it's a direct comment. And they could still say no, but the, if they don't really care, those types of folks don't really care about, they're not worried about offending you, they'll tell you most cases, and then you can have another opportunity to respond to that particular roadblock. Um, and then the other, we talked about plenty where the customer is not inclined to make a decision on the first call and we create agreement on how to follow up. Exactly. So those are the six. Um, you know, ask for the sale, engage the customer in discovery of their problems, um, uh, offer them choices, four choices seems to be optimal, include financing uh, with each choice, uh, follow up um, uh, until the customer with agreement, create agreement on how you, the customer wants to follow up and then sell to them in a manner that's appropriate to their behavior style. That's great, Tom. I love that that list. It's so true and it's so foundational to good relationship building. That's all we're doing, guys and girls out there. We're just building relationships. Some of them are going to work 
and some we'll make some money on and some we'll just be able to help out on their journey. You know, it's really all about trying to add the most value as you possibly can as you move through this thing. So thank you, Tom, for those. Those are amazing. I have one last question for you as we wrap up. What do you think the number sure. one thing is that holds salespeople back from growing to their potential? Yeah, I would say it, it's uh, a mindset that comes from self-belief, self-confidence, believing that they are there to serve the customer, being comfortable and confident with that as a foundational um, um, attitude. And then if they do believe that they're there to serve the customer and that serving the customer can create success, then they will feel much more confident about approaching the sale and they won't feel um, that they failed if they did their best. They approached every customer with that mindset. Then when they don't make the sale, that's not failure. That's just the customer making a decision. And when they do follow that process and they do follow it with that foundational belief, then they will um, earn uh, the right to ask for the sale. They'll probably, and if they do follow those six steps, they probably will create much more significant success than they otherwise would have. Got it. So confidence, they're building confidence and all of that. So do you have any quick tips on how to build confidence as a salesperson? You say it's a mindset side of of the equation. So much of, of our life, you know, Henry Ford said it best, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. So how have you found that over thousands and thousands of people you've trained, the best way to help salespeople gain confidence? So in a training, so all salespeople uh, attend training of some sort. And I would be careful about the type of training that you pick. For example, I, I attended uh, a training workshop that was sponsored by a, a company that sold windows, siding, and doors. Not that they're all like this, they're not. But um, this sales trainer stood up and said that, uh, first of all, all buyers are liars. And I want you to remember that. <laughs> and I thought, that, that's kind of, you know, if that's what the rest of the training is gonna be like, and it was, then it was it was about seeing the customer more as a victim. And this goes back many, many, many years. So I'm yeah. sure it's not that way in that industry anymore. But so I guess the, the most important thing is uh, having the customer know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are there to serve them. And that that will, if they, if they know that that's the case, then when you follow those six steps, you're going to create success um, as a result. <clears throat> a, a, a one, one quick example. One of all my children sell heating and air conditioning at some point in their lives. They nice. all have. And all of them are still in sales. Uh, two of them uh, are in heating and air conditioning sales still. And one of them works for um, a company that has great leadership, great uh, sales, uh, a great sales culture. It's a sales oriented business. And so they do things from a foundational level 
to help the salesperson be effective. And as a result of that, because of the right sales culture and the right sales process, and they do sales training continuously, and they do role playing and practice the skills. And because they do that, they end up uh, creating the greatest success. And um, most salespeople in heating and air conditioning, annual sales are maybe two or $3 million. In this company, all of the salespeople sell $6 million or more. Wow. And that can't happen unless it starts with the culture and the leadership of the company looks to support a sales culture from, from every aspect that they can, uh, including believing that uh, salespeople can accomplish more than the typical. You know, you start with that foundational belief that they can create greater success, like you said, the Henry Ford quote, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they can, and you can. Yeah. And sales, you know, when it comes to a company wide, you know, they all, people often think that this role is a sales role. It goes to the salesperson, and they're kind of almost separate from the company. They have their own thing. There's like there's no communication between that person and the rest of the company in a sense that they they talk the same. And here's what I mean by that: when we train, you know, in our group, when we train outdoor living and you know landscaping and, and hardscaping professionals how to communicate with their clients to better serve them. Uh, what is so important is to try to get as many people in your company involved as possible. And it's not just so I can, you know, sell more space within, within my program. That's not the point. The point is that when the entire company starts rowing in the same direction with the same vernacular, the same, just to your point earlier, switching the word options to choices, having these conversations under having even your installation teams, understanding what's going on on the sales side so that the conversation that the salesperson has with Mrs. Jones can be a similar conversation, not in the sales, like actually selling, but the field can speak in similar vernacular to her as well. So it doesn't feel like two totally separate engagements and their front lines that are calling in from the frontline phone call. The first one coming in can have a similar vernacular that goes through so that the words are being used the same, the same, um, you know, overall focus of the company is being well, well enunciated, if you will, from the very beginning all the way through. So it's a much smoother process. So instead of it just training one person that's doing this one thing, but the more you can get your company involved, the more it becomes a company wide way of doing business and not just something the salesperson does. Have you found that to be true in yours as well? Absolutely. And your comment about install installation and how important that is really resonates with me. And I feel that installation fulfills the promises yes. that the salesperson made. And so I, I hold them actually as the most important part of the process since customer satisfaction is what we're all about. And in, in this industry, it's actually known that if you create a highly satisfied customer, over time, if you ask for them, you'll get nine referrals. Mm-hmm. And the close rate on referrals is you know, 70, 80, 90%. And so if you look at the value of that one highly satisfied customer that might give you fifteen dollars or $20,000 worth of business um, can create an opportunity for a couple hundred thousand oh, yeah. dollars worth of business. So installation starts that process and then 
there are a whole lot of other things that we could talk about another time, if you want, that are all connected to creating the best possible customer experience. I love it. That's really what it's all about is that customer experience. And I love how you use the word fulfilling the promise, that phrase, because ultimately you can sell all day long, design all day long, but the client at the end really wants you to fulfill that promise to, to actually bring this thing to life, whether it's HVAC or whether it's an outdoor living space, it's it's the culmination of all of the work that we've done before. That's why it's worth it. So I love that to deliver on the promise. And if you're people in the field that they could probably see more than they've ever saw the salesperson or design team or even the frontline people, they're not going to see them nearly as much as the installers. So are your installers, are your men and women out there, are they speaking the same way that your office does? Or are they speaking a completely different language? And I don't mean like English or Spanish. I mean, a different way to communicate completely. Like they're not nearly as customer experience focused. They're focused on getting the job done. And Mrs. Jones can feel that. They love the beginning, whole first half of this, this game, if you will, from the first call all the way through the sales process to the bidding and everything is good all the way up to the point where... Now they got to see it come to life and like, who are these people? They aren't like the people I just got done, you know, for the last few weeks or months or whatever working with. These people don't talk to me. They're short. They don't care. Like that's not a, you know, that is not a fulfillment of the promise that they're expecting. And that's where they start to get really pissed off and start getting cranky because they're thinking like, wait a minute here. I thought it was going to be different and it's not, it's like everybody else. So where are you in that? Where all my masking the listeners to think about their companies? Where are you? Are you providing that customer experience from beginning to end? Or is it falling off on your installers because you don't want to train them to be better with better communication skills? That's what I'm getting at. That's huge. To your point, if you can get nine referrals, even two referrals from a project, that's two you didn't have to pay marketing teams for and all this stuff. And they have the highest close rates. So the goal is always referrals. So how can we incur more and more and more and more referrals? It's by taking care of your customers from first call to last handshake. If you can perfect that, you will have a machine that'll keep coming back with more and more referrals. It's incredible how well that works. And you don't have to pay a, a penny for marketing. Tom, I could talk all day long about sales with you. I love this. You have a very strong mindset and very similar heart to me. It's about serving clients. That's what it's about. And hopefully we can help them with an amazing solution. I love the idea that you switch out the word options for choices. I love that. I'm going to do that today. I love that. That detail is, I think, so important. Tom, thank you for coming on here. Again, it's Tom Piscatelli, uh, and you can find him on it's sellingtrust.com. Take a look at what he's doing over there. And don't be afraid if he's in the HVAC world and you're not. Sales is sales at the end of the day. Right. And you're probably thinking, wait a minute here, Josh, you do this too. You do sales training in your industry. This isn't just about me. This is about serving people. Right. And if, if Tom's message resonated more with you, work with him. The goal here is to find somebody that you can work with that's going to help you learn how to communicate better so you can serve more people. We're only here for so long on this planet. So we're here to serve as many as we possibly can. Uh, and when your heart goes from just transactional mindset to how many can I possibly sell and make all this money, it goes into a transformational mindset. How can I transform this client's life and make it more comfortable, better? And how can I serve them at the highest level? That's when the game changes, everybody. So I know Tom's heart's there as mine is as well. So um, thank you for listening, guys. Hope you learned something today. I know I did. And uh, we'll see you next week.